Well, good morning. I want to welcome you again to Central Presbyterian Church this morning and what we're organized around here at our church. If you're new here, as we seek transformation, transformation of our lives and our communities and the whole world through the renewing work of the Lord Jesus Christ. We're here in our second week of our fall sermon series. It's called Life by Design. And last week we saw that we start from a place of acknowledging that God is our creator and we are his creatures. And that means that we don't belong to ourselves. We belong to him. He created us, he made us, and he has set the boundaries for our lives, the boundaries for our blessing. But we also belong to God as our redeemer. So the Lord Jesus gave his life as a substitute for all of our sin, to, be, to bear our judgment, to bear our shame, and to free us from the dominion of our sin so that we can live for him. Our creator not only has given a design to shape how we live, but our redeemer has given us himself to forgive us when we fail and to begin that work of renewing us according to his design. We're going to take one more step this morning, one more step to more carefully look at what it means to be made like God. That's who you are. You're not a thing, but you are a reflection of God into this world as the pinnacle of his creation. Is that who you see in the mirror? When you look at the the neighbor sitting next to you in in the row, is that who you see, the pinnacle of all creation? I want to invite you to open your Bible. As Cole said, we're going to to look at Genesis chapter 1. I'm going to change our verses a little bit this morning. We're going to read verses 26 and 27, and then we'll flip over to chapter 2 and read verse 7. So let's pray as we turn to God's Word. Lord, we ask that you would open our eyes by the power of your Spirit, that we behold Jesus, our Redeemer, the Lamb who was slain for us. Lord, we ask that you would open our ears to hear your word and renew our wills, that we would follow after you as disciples. And so, Lord, we ask together that the words of my mouth and the meditations of all of our hearts would be pleasing and acceptable in your sight. O Lord, our rock and our redeemer, we pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. Genesis 1, beginning in verse 26. Then God said, let us make man in our image after our likeness, and let them have dominion over the fish of the sea and over the birds of the heavens and over the livestock and over all the earth and over every creeping thing that creeps on the earth. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. Now flip over to chapter 2. This is not a second account of creation. It's more like Moses takes a magnifying glass to look at how did God make humanity? What's special about how God made us? Look at verse 7 of chapter 2. Then the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. The grass withers and the flower fades but the word of our God will stand forever. Last week, we talked about Disney for a few minutes, and I want us to return to Disney for one moment this morning. See if you remember where this came from. Mirror, mirror on the wall. Who's the fairest of them all? Remember, where did that come from? Snow White, that's right. Snow White, mirror, mirror on the wall, and the evil queen expects to find her own reflection there, and along with the affirmation that she's the most beautiful, 
She's the fairest in all the land, but if you remember how the story goes, the evil queen learns that there's a fairer one. Snow White is more beautiful. And the jealousy that followed drove the evil queen to a murderous appetite. You see, the queen looked into that mirror longing to see her own reflection of beauty as superior, her control over her whole realm by being the fairest. She'd hoped to be beyond compare. But instead, the mirror did its job. The mirror informed her that there is one lovelier. There's a Snow White. And what it reflected back to the evil queen was an ugly rage. She saw herself as she was. What do you see when you look in the mirror? Who is revealed in the mirror? And when you turn that mirror and see a reflection of other people around you, what do you see in them? Last week, we considered that we don't belong to ourselves, but to our creator, and we've been made in his image, which means we represent him in this world. Remember the word image there was also used for a statue that would be set up to demonstrate and represent who rules in this place. We talked about the big statue of Saddam Hussein in Baghdad. And when soldiers came in and freed, uh, freed, uh, freed Iraq from Saddam's regime, the people tore the statue down. When the statue's up, Saddam was ruling, but when they tore it down, there's another in charge. God says something similar about us. We are made in his image. We are to represent the divine presence in his creation. That's what he's made us for. But there's another aspect of being made in the image of God is that we reflect God. You could say that when we look into the mirror, we see a reflection of God, something true about him looking back at us. And when we turn that mirror and we see the reflection of our neighbor, we see something of God in them too. In later weeks, we're gonna see that you turn the mirror once more and we see our responsibility to reflect God into all of the creation as we care for his creation, as we go about doing our work. But today, let's ask what it means to be made like God before God himself and toward our neighbor. First, what does it mean to be made like God before the Lord himself? Look at Genesis 1 verse 26 again. It says, let us make man. That's, that was a generic word for man as in human. So let us make human in our image and after our likeness. That expression's curious because the grammar's strange. It says, let us, plural, make man singular. In our plural, image, singular. See how strange that is? This God who is described as being plural makes someone in his image and it's a singular person made in his image. That's strange. Another way we could say it is that as human beings, we bear the image of an us. We bear the image of a God who later is clarified to be three in one, the Father and Son and Holy Spirit. We're in the image of our creator God. And what that means about how you and I are made is that we are hardwired for relationship. We've been designed for relationship. We've been given the ability to think and the ability to reason, the ability to communicate for relationship. And in particular here in this text, it's made for relationship with God, fellowship with the living God. And that's what's distinct 
about human beings and all the rest of creation, there are other capacities that we share with other creatures to one degree or another. Other, other creatures can reason, other creatures can think, other creatures can care for one another, but that's not exactly what it means for us to be in the image of God. You might remember me telling you stories about our wicked, smart Brittany Spaniel, Reggie, who now has crossed the rainbow bridge, as they say. But Reggie proved irrefutably that you do not have to be human to reason. He had the ability to work the latch on a chain link fence and get himself out. And what's even more impressive is he could do all those steps in the right order. We watched him do it over and over again. He would use his nose to lift the U-joint, uh, the, the, uh, the latch, the U-latch, lift it with his nose, and then he would jump up against a fence that's designed only to open inward. And he would jump up against it and put his paws on it and get the momentum going so that when he came down, the fence opened inward and he could get out. It's like he had a schematic or blueprints of this, of this whole design and he had done the complex geometry as to how to make it work. The dog could reason, but still even more, you're different. What's unique about you being made in the image of God is not exclusively that you can reason or you can communicate or even that you can care for one another. The giant distinguishing mark between you and the rest of creation, including the angels, What's different about you is that you've been designed for fellowship with God, an intimate and personal and deep and real relationship with the living God. You made like him that you might have fellowship with him. We see it even more clearly in verse 7 of chapter 2 where Moses puts the magnifying glass and to see more deeply how God fashioned us. He said, the Lord God formed the man of the dust from the ground and breathed into his nostrils the breath of life. And the man became a living creature. Now, other other creatures are called living creatures. That's not what's unique. But what's different is how God's God is described as sculpting or fashioning human beings face to face, as it were. It's describing a tender God almost bending down and blowing into the nostrils, into that intimate face-to-face interaction with Adam. And when Adam opened his eyes for the first time, the first face he saw was God's face. He was made for fellowship and intimacy with that first face that he saw. He was made for attachment with his God. Just like infants, when they open their eyes and they lay eyes on their parents or with their father or their mother, there's an emotional bond that this baby forms with the parent. There's blessing in that first face. That's what we were designed for with God. There's blessing. There's attachment with God. And friends, what you and I need to know is that we have been driving our whole lives to get back to that place, to that face of blessing ever since. It's who we are. We've been made for a personal and intimate and real relationship, real fellowship with God, to be able to speak with God and understand God as he communicates us because he designed us for fellowship with him. And we're not going to be able to rest and feel satisfied in our souls until we have it. Augustine wrote his confessions between 397 and 400 AD, and he said it this way, You, God, have made us for yourself, 
and our hearts are restless until they find their rest in you. We're not gonna find satisfaction anywhere else. John Calvin wrote it like this in the 1500s. All humanity, all men are born to live to the end that they may know God. That's how you're designed. You're designed for fellowship with God. And when we think about that fact about how God made us, it explains so much about that enduring human drive to connect with something bigger. We see it all over the place. We see people longing for something transcendent, something more to find some meaning out there. We find spirituality in every single culture on the face of the planet because we've been made in God's image to have fellowship with him, the transcendent God. We were designed to have fellowship with him. And the truth is that nothing else will satisfy us until we come into fellowship with that living God. No matter what you're looking for, it will not satisfy you until you have fellowship with the one you've been designed to enjoy fellowship with. In Ecclesiastes chapter three, it says, God has placed eternity into every man's heart. He made you for divine fellowship. So what are you looking for? What are you looking for in this life? Do you know what you are really searching for? You search for some meaning, some significance in this world. You, we, we look for some way to figure out how it all fits together. We look for something that's going to address the ache that every single person has in our hearts. We, we look for something to, to fill that hole that we have in our souls. And the truth is, it can't be filled with any stuff. That place in your life can't be filled by sex. No matter how many people try to fill that empty place up in your life through sex, it's not going to work. It can't be filled through power. It can't be filled through achievement. It can't be filled through money. It can't be filled through wealth. It can only be found in the creator, the one who designed you to have fellowship with himself. What are you searching for today? Do you realize that ultimately you're looking for God, the one who made you to have life with him? But being made in that design for fellowship with God makes a crystal clear point of why the Son of God would take on flesh and come after us and live in perfect obedience as a man in this broken down world and then give his life on the cross as payment and judgment for our sin. Why would he do it? Because not only were we created for fellowship, but we've been redeemed for the same purpose. He's come after you because you matter to him. You matter to the God who made you. So much that he entered this world to save you, to make you his beloved. Friends, it's in the cross that we find the reconciling love of God set on display to restore us to the fellowship we were created to enjoy. That's why Jesus has come after us. And friends, you're not going to find satisfaction. You're not going to find joy in this life without that relationship with God. You're not going to find satisfaction without him. You're not going to fill up that hole in your heart. You're not going to address the ache and the longing for meaning until it is met and God restoring you to himself. We've been made like God to have fellowship with God 
But what about with one another? We're made in God's image, made in God's likeness, and it also serves as a mirror to reflect that another human being is in the image of God too. And that's where our value comes from. Again, at verse 27, in his image, male and female, he created them. And in that fact, made different and yet to be together, that reflecting who God is, is what gives value and dignity and glory and honor to every human being. Your value is distinct from that of other animals. You are more important in the created order than even your beloved family dog. You matter. You count. Your value comes from the one in whose image you've been made. And that goes for your neighbor too. There's a deep and profound biblical truth of equality in creation that every human being is made in the image of God from the greatest to the least, from the oldest to the youngest, even the vilest of sinners, all made in the image of God. And there's something beautiful there. There's something worthy of compassion there. Students, when you go to school, every other kid in your classroom is made with infinite value in the image of God. When you go into the lunchroom, every person seated at the cool kids' table and the uncool kids' table, every one of them are made with the image of God. And that should govern how we treat them, how we relate to one another. And yet, in our world, science is king. But science has no abiding basis to say that a human being is valuable. There's not one. Science can tell us that human beings are a marvel, that we have amazing complexity, but value and significance, science can't say that really. Because if human beings are merely a collection of highly orchestrated atoms into molecules into tissues, then why is this particular set of tissues in a person more valuable than that set of tissues in the dog or the chimpanzee or the tree? There's not a reason. Leading ethicist Peter Singer of Princeton suggests that instead we assign value to humans grounded in their capacities. Humans have the capacity to reason. They have the capacity to make moral choices, the capacity to act in this world as a moral agent. And therefore, in his view, because we have those abilities, human beings have lives worth protecting. But what about a human life that is of diminished capacity? What about someone who has a developmental delay, disability? Someone who has limited ability to, to reason complex matters or discern moral choices, do those lives have value too? Science would say maybe not. What about the elderly who may lose certain capacities as they age? Do their lives matter? Are they worth protecting as well? Well, the euthanasia movement would question maybe not. Or babies who can't reason complex moral choices, children who are infants outside the womb, children who are infants inside the womb, do their lives matter? Do they deserve protection? Peter Singer would say, no, there's no difference. Children don't have value until they attain certain capacities in their life. But the Bible says that's wrong. The Bible says every human life inside the womb and outside the womb is made in the image of God and demands to be protected because it's sacred. It's made like God. 
Human beings don't attain value because we learn how to do things. But each person has innate value because of who made us and how we were made. It's because of the image of God in every person, the neighbor sitting next to you in the pew this morning, and every human being, regardless of capacity, every human being trapped in poverty, everyone of diminished capacity, every human being inside their mother's womb, they all have value and demand and deserve to be protected because they're made in the image of God. A recent issue of First Things magazine, the October 2023 issue has an article in it that I would commend to every one of you. It's entitled, We Are Repaganizing. It's by Louise Perry, and Miss Perry is not a Christian, but she's seeing the development in our culture that is walking away from the Christian understanding of why people have value into saying science is king or the old, old pagan religions might be king, and they can't account for why a human person matters can't say why the weak and the vulnerable demand to be protected. Why care if we have no reason to call any other person sacred? She wrote this. Most cultures, perfectly logically, glorify warriors and kings, not those at the bottom of the heap. But Christianity takes a perverse attitude toward status and puts that perversity at the heart of their theology. She quotes the Apostle Paul. God chose the weak things of the world to shame the strong. That is a baffling and alarming claim to anyone from a society untouched by the strangeness of the Jesus movement, she wrote. Why indeed do we see enduring value in human beings? Not attached to status, not attached to capacities, not attached to how much we've accomplished in this life, but every human person having dignity, no matter how weak, no matter how broken down, even in the grip of sin, no matter their ethnicity or their culture, nor whether they're inside the womb or outside the womb, they're all made in the image of God, including the poor in our city, the hungry around the world, the incarcerated, the refugee, the one living a defiled life, all made in God's image and worthy of our compassion, worthy of our protection. You see, this truth of being made in God's image can change how we think about living this life. And if we think more deeply about it, perhaps we would not be so easily categorized in political and polarized categories. Because we value the image of God, we care about abortion and also about racial injustice because of the image of God. Because of the image of God, we care about poverty and we also care about fair application of our laws and the restriction of crime. We care about both because we value the image of God in people. What is it that shapes your sense of why your neighbor's life matters or why somebody in our city's life matters? Let's have the Bible shape our hearts and our minds not whatever news channel we watch, not the social media we consume, because sometimes we may think it but would never say it, that some people's lives just matter more because they're more like us. Let's have the Bible govern our hearts and our minds and seeing every human being made in the image of God, filled with value and dignity. But maybe this morning when you look in the mirror, you don't see that. 
Maybe you don't see the pinnacle of creation. Maybe you just see the wreckage of your own life. And as you look at the lives of the people around you and your neighbor, you see war and disease and broken down cities and people at each other's throats. And it doesn't seem very much like the pinnacle of creation to you. Could you take another look, please? In the mirror that shows you the truth that you were created to have fellowship with God with enduring value. And if you've trusted the Lord Jesus Christ, you've been redeemed to have a living fellowship with God. You've been made with a value that cannot be erased. Your worth cannot be diminished. But you keep looking at one another. Of course, there is another who's perfectly made in the image of God, the one who took on flesh, the Lord Jesus. We read it during our confession that as Colossians 1 says, Jesus is the image of the invisible God. The God who took on flesh and through his life and death and resurrection gives us the kind of life we long to have. Jesus has come to restore the broken fellowship with God and he's begun renewal in your life and mine if we've trusted him for salvation. He's begun to restore us into the image bearers of God according to his design. So trust him. Come to that Jesus who gave his life to remove your sin. Who gave his life to take away your shame, to to address the failures in your life, to meet all of your needs. And he's given us the hope that we have of redemption because the living God took on flesh to come after you and me and restore that fellowship with him. Because of the work of Jesus, it's true we're not yet now what we shall be, but by God's grace, we are not who we once were because Jesus is alive and Jesus is at work. So come and rest in that fellowship and in the care of the God who created you and the God who redeemed you to be his forever. Let's pray. Lord, we ask that you would Help us to see the truth of who we are before you. Help us to see the glory and dignity of our neighbor. And may we treat them as one of infinite value because they are made like you. Lord, we ask that you would raise up a movement within your people, among your people, to go deeper, even deeper, to pursue the value of the life of human beings as we oppose abortion as we seek to pursue racial justice because of the image bearers of God. Help us, Lord, as we seek to address poverty, as we try to have fair application of our laws and curb crime. Lord, would you help us to live lives of dignity that see your value in other human beings? Make us that kind of people and so represent you in this world and what and whom you care about, your own people. Lord, do that in us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.